All right, Hebrews chapter 12, the message is, who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? This is an important message given uh, to these believers because there was this temptation that they were feeling. They saw others um, that had once drawn near to the Lord. They had tasted, they had experienced some level of experience with Jesus, but they turned their backs and they walked away. Now he says, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think you're the group that's gonna do that, but nonetheless, he gives them warnings like they're the group that's gonna do that. Um, and so it's a strong message. Today, again, strong exhortation uh, to listen to Jesus, to hear what he has to say, and to not um, go back to the old covenant. So we're gonna see another contrast between the old and new covenant. Uh, by now, I would hope that if you've journeyed with us through the book of Hebrews, that as we begin to go into this contrast, that you immediately go like, oh, I get it, another contrast. Um, and that you can see this, because this is really the, the book of Hebrews. So we're gonna be encouraged, and the blessings we have in Jesus, and to remain there, we're gonna be reminded that judgment is coming upon this earth, and that we should therefore walk in godly fear. Let's begin reading there at verses 18 through 21. This is a description of Mount Sinai. And the Ten Commandments were given. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness. So you haven't come to Mount Sinai. They're, they're going to come to the mountain of Jesus. We'll read about this in a moment. But this is not, not the mountain you've come to, right? That mountain, uh, it burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Man, if there could be like a, a video of this scene in the Old Testament, I hope there, all right, so here's, a crazy uh, Christian thought. I hope there are like archives in heaven that you can just go into and you can pull up. Like, let's look at Mount Sinai scene. Let's watch the, the parting of the Red Sea. I don't know. It, I, I'm sure however it is, it's gonna even be better. But I'm just saying, if that's the case, I'm gonna spend a lot of time in that library. Um, watching these, but this is an awesome scene. This is when the 10 commandments are given and they're told boundaries, physical boundaries are put up and it said, don't let any animal pass. Don't let a child, a man or a woman pass. If you do, you have to stone them or shoot them with an arrow. The idea is there's a stop sign. It's keeping you from coming up to the place of God's presence. And the idea here is that the old covenant limits man's approach to God. Now, if, if you take just that statement, you could walk away with maybe a negative view of the Old Covenant, which I don't think would be accurate. Because you gotta set the context. Um, it is inviting man to have a nation. It's inviting man to corporate worship. It's, it's, a, it's a basically, it's a download package from heaven on how to start a nation and how to function as a society, how to have a court system, how to have a public worship system. Incredible kindness. They didn't have any of that before. And so all of this was a blessing to them. Eat this, don't eat that. Fight like this, take care of the poor like that. Approach like this, sacrifice like that. 
It was amazing. There was so much that was given to them, but as much as was given to them, this was still a covenant that was limited. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. And so you see, come, but I'm going to show you my presence on top of this mountain. You're going to see the, you know, the fire and the lightning and the thundering and the cloud. You're going to hear the voice of God. You're going to hear trumpets blaring. And when they saw it, they were scared to death. And, um, you know, they were excited about it until they experienced it. And it was so holy. It was so awesome. And they're like, yeah, that was fun. Don't ever want to do that again. It reminds me of my uh, oldest grandson, Micah. And we were at um, Dollywood. And I forget what the name, tornado something, the tornado uh, roller coaster. And, of course, he's tall enough to go on it. So, therefore, it must be okay. And... Um, He's like, he goes, you know, he goes, hey, I want, actually, my, <laughs> these grandkids, they call me Grape. It was supposed to be Gramps, and you know how it goes. So anyways, <laughs> they call me Grape. You don't call me Grape. They call me Grape. <laughs> um, you can call me Troy, but don't, don't call me Grape. But so I'm all right with that. But they, so he goes, Grape, can I go on that? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, this is like, you know, it's got a couple of loops. It's got a twist. He goes, I, I'll be all right. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go to Mount Sinai. I want to go on Tornado Twist or whatever it's called. And we went until we hit the first loop. And then he's like, ah! And I'm like holding him. This was, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a real deal roller coaster. And he started, right at the end, you, he, the tears are starting to come down. And um, so I'm like, what do you think? He's like, I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. And I'm like, it sounded fun. It sounded fun. I'm tall enough. I'm right. I, I'm like one inch over the line to be tall enough to go on this. They could go to this scene. They could come to Mount Sinai. And they could experience it. But their experience after it was over was like Micah's. I don't want to do that. Actually, I just saw him, this was last year, and I saw him just a couple of months ago. Hey, remember the tornado twister? Well, I forget the name of this thing. I go, you want to do that? He's like, well, I, and he just kind of starts backing up and getting nervous. He's like, he's still feeling it. You know, it's like, I don't think I want to do that again. That's how these guys are feeling. They went on a tornado twister, and they're like, that was cool, but not that cool. I don't, Moses, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not speaking in hyperbole, we heard him, we lived. He gets to talk to you from now on because that was too terrifying for us. And so he's talking about this covenant and how it, was, it limited them. They could only go so far. But in contrast to that, we're going to talk about Mount Zion. And really, there is a physical Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But it, we're really more talking about this figurative mountain of Christ. So they went to Mount Sinai. Old Covenant. We come to the Lord, Mount Zion, New Covenant. So let's read verses 22 through 24 where we're going to learn the New Covenant invites man to come close. Old Covenant, don't come this close. Don't come so close. New, that's the Old Covenant. New Covenant says come all the way in. It would say go beyond the boundaries and climb the mountain. Come into my presence. Let's read together. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Listen to these descriptions of yourself. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, 
to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Of course, Abel made the sacrifice, was accepted by God, Cain and his brother didn't. So we're gonna find all the things we can come to. He's gonna give us a list of things you can come to. The new covenant invites us to come close. Um, so again, a better way. The old covenant taught us we need a better sacrifice, we need a better high priest, we need a, uh, something that brings better privileges. The new covenant in Christ Jesus, the salvation that he offers, brings us all of those better things. Why would anybody ever want to go back to the law and keep the law? Why would you want to go back to fear and trembling and don't draw near? When you get to come behind the veil and experience the presence of the Lord and experience the better sacrifice. And so they were feeling this temptation and so the pastor writes to them. Now the verse, first thing in verse 3 um, that we, we see that he lists, he says, to the general assembly. Those four words there, to the general assembly, they make up one Greek word, penigurus. And it's, it's the idea, it's the exact opposite of what happened when they went to Mount Sinai. When they went to Mount Sinai, fear and trembling, dread, don't ever want to get on Tornado Twister again. Thank you, Moses. He gets to talk to you from now on. But, but this word, when it says to the general assembly, in other words, we're coming to the general assembly, the idea is that of joy and celebration. It's like going to a festival. It's like walking into, the, into a church service when you're laughing and saying hi and greeting one another and there's just the buzz of, of fellowship coming. That's the idea of this word. So very different than the experience at Mount Sinai where there wasn't that. I mean, there was like a nervous laughter every words afterwards and everybody's backing up saying, Never, ever again. Well, never, ever again under that covenant. But yes, and forever under the, the sacrifice and the provision that Jesus makes. So it, there's celebration. You know, sometimes when there's laughter and people are, are having fun and joking around, I've never had this happen, but I, I know that my wife has, and pretty, many of you can maybe have done this. I Hopefully you've never done that, but there can be joy in a church building, and somebody will say, this is the house of God. Say, so that's right. It is a house of God. It's not Mount Sinai where there's fear and trembling. This is the general assembly. This is us coming to a party. I don't know what Bible you're reading, Pastor, but this is celebration time. So loosen up a bit. And, and that's that mentality that we need to have when we're coming into the house of the Lord with joy and rejoicing and celebration and freedom, invitation to come. And so this is the first thing that we're coming to, is to a great celebration. And then he says, and the, we're the firstborn. Um, this is how we come, right? Well, it says the church, and we are the church, that gathering together. So we have done this. And then it says, of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. So what do we get from the idea of firstborn? Well, back up in the text just a little bit. And come and you'll see that scene that was talked about um, where there was a, a dispute 
over a firstborn privilege. Remember Jacob and Esau? We talked about it last week. And how for a morsel of food, for a bowl of soup, Esau, the elder, the firstborn, traded away his inheritance and his privileges for a morsel of bread to the secondborn who didn't have the rights and privileges of firstborn. Because he was secondborn. He received it. God prophesied that he would. But in that culture, firstborn got the double blessing. That doesn't exist in the family of God. All of us are firstborn. There's no caste system. There's no ranking. We all get the same privileges. We all receive the same blessings. And we've we, we got to remind ourselves of that. Lest you be kind of feeling like you're at the bottom and you have no place and you'll never be like her. You'll never live like him. You'll never be able to do the things that she does and the way she serves. You need to get that out of your mind because there is not that ranking system in the kingdom of God. Well, there is neither male nor female, right? There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither free nor slave, which means this. There is not the haves and the have-nots. We all have equal access to the kingdom's privileges. Sure, God's going to give us different um, spiritual gifts to function in different ways, but we all are firstborn. We are co-inheritors with Christ Jesus. We're going to sit on the throne with Jesus, it says in the opening chapters of Revelation. And if it didn't say that, and somebody said, well, I'm going to be a joint heir with Christ, and I'm going to sit on a throne with him. If it wasn't in Scripture, we would all back up, waiting for that person to be struck by lightning and turned to a, into a little greasy spot on the ground because of their blasphemy. But actually, that's exactly what Scripture says. And we are firstborn. We are joint heirs with Christ. It's not my language. That's the language of the New Testament. And so, how are you living? Are you living like a firstborn are you living like one that has a double, full portion of the blessings of God? Um, Hetty Green, I think it was, was a, uh, a very, very wealthy woman in America who lived like a poor person going from soup kitchen to soup kitchen, from homeless shelter to homeless shelter. She, I mean, she was like a billionaire. He had loads of money, but was living like this. She ended up getting an infection and would not go to the hospital that she could have bought with cash and she didn't do that and she ended up dying and it was totally preventable but she was unwilling to use the what she had and I think that's the way a lot of us as Christians are we've been getting every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places you come short in no spiritual gift you all of us have the resources of heaven to us and yet we can often live like spiritual paupers we can live like we're the second born, or maybe we're not even part of the family. Enjoy what you've been given. So we're the first born. This is the, the, the idea of that. We all are welcome to the privileges. And then he says, who are registered in heaven. Luke 10, 20, Revelation 21, 27, both of those passages speak about our names being written in the Lamb's book of life. And you're registered in heaven. You're, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has written your name down and you have a reservation. Have you ever showed up somewhere thinking you had a reservation only to find out that you don't? Has, has that only happened to me? Yeah. 
I showed up at a hotel 1 a.m. in the morning, no car. I made my way over to this hotel and I walked in with my reservation to which they said, we have no record of that. I'm like, yeah, but look. And it's like, you know how they don't even want to look at it. They're like, they're like, I'm sorry, sir. We have no rooms. There's no space for you here. I go, well, what do you want me to do? I mean, I registered. Why didn't you notify me afterward? Well, I'm sorry. Can't help you. That was a very helpless feeling. But, you know, it was 1 a.m. I only had to get till 9. You know what I'm saying? It's all right. Um, but you don't want to arrive in heaven. And there's going to be no mix-up because if you have a reservation, your name will be there. But you got to make certain that your name is there, and there's only one way to get your name in the book of life. There's only one way to become a registered um, citizen of this kingdom, and that is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You must call upon him for salvation. You must ask him to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you. And if you will do this, he will welcome you. You're not just going to be registered. He's going to welcome you when you come into that place. Just think of Stephen as he passed from this life being stoned to death that Jesus was standing. He wasn't sitting at the right hand. He was standing, welcoming Stephen as he came in. So, yeah, all kinds of wonderful blessings that we're reading here. So we come to the general assembly, and it tells us how we come, right, as the firstborn of those who are registered in heaven. We come to the judge of all. Well, this adds a little more sobriety than being the firstborn. But he's going to go on to talk about the judge has been satisfied, right? The mediator, he has taken care of it. But there is, God is a judge, there's a wonderful celebration. We have all of these privileges, and we should come with joy, but at the same time, we must always remember we're coming before the judge of the universe. And people have a real, real problem with this idea that there would be judgment. This is why they, they deny the flood. If you say there is no flood, then God did not judge the earth. If God did not judge the earth, I'm not accountable. If I'm not accountable, then I can live however I want to. This is what Jesus said. People love their, their sin, their darkness. That's why they rejected the light. And so he is a judge, and we're all going to have to answer to him. And here's the reality. We don't even know how to judge ourselves properly sometimes, do we? Lord, did I handle that correctly? Did I say that? I mean, I, I didn't. I don't think I did that wrong. I mean, and you can even be in the midst of it doing something. You're like, Lord, I don't know if my heart's right. I mean, I want it to be right, but I'm not sure that it's right. And because I'm not sure, therefore, I'm second guessing myself. Oh, Lord, help me. I mean, you don't even know how. We can't even make a proper evaluation of ourselves at time. But the Lord always knows the exact right thing about us. He knows exactly what we're thinking, the best motives, where we missed the mark, and we will we will appear before that judge. The eternal company is all passed before the judge of the universe. And of course, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no problem. But if you want to appear before heaven, not being registered, then you will appear before the judge and you are not going to be welcomed in. And judgment will come. Many people bristle under the idea that they would be accountable and, and there would be any sense of judgment. And yet, try crossing them in their standards of justice. And suddenly, judge is acceptable. And they become you know, the judge, jury, and executioner. 
because you've crossed their lines. Oh, I don't believe in judgment. Oh, yeah. Just find out what they don't like and do it. Don't, don't do that. But I'm just saying, if you want to make a point, you can cross that line and watch the judge rise up within them. Oh, wait a minute. You do believe in judgment. And so there is a judge that we will answer to. What else do, who else do we come to? We come to the judge of all the earth. I, I like this next, well, I love all of this, but this, this part just kind of captured my attention a little bit here, where it says, um, to the, who are registered in heaven, to the judge of all, we're going to come to the spirits of just men made perfect. Just men made perfect. So man, men who've been justified in Christ Jesus and been made perfect. We're, we're going to go to this heavenly city where there are innumerable angels. We're gonna go to this place where we have a, we're registered, we've got a reservation. We're gonna go to this place where um, the Lord, the judge of the universe is gonna be, but we're also gonna go to this place where just men and women who have gone before us are. Now listen, that's not primary focus, okay? That's a secondary force, you know, it's, it's down the list, but that is still a cool thing to think about, isn't it? To think about being with Abraham and Sarah, to think about being with Daniel and David, to be with these individuals that have gone before us. To think about, you know, Peter and Paul and Mary and Martha. These, I mean, you're going to be in the company of these just men and women who have been made perfect. That's where we're going. Now, of course, you can see how this would have incredibly appealed to uh, this group of people, these Jews, as we just got a big list in chapter 11 of just men made perfect, right? The, the hall of faith. And so you have these people that are in mind. But I, I mean, what does that do for us? How does that impact us? Well, I think it's kind of like, I can't believe I'm going to be a part of that group. Yeah, you're a firstborn. Just like them, you're a firstborn. You know, you're not, they're not tier one, you know, followers and you're a tier two. That, no, you're a firstborn, but it does impact a little bit, at least it does me, when I think about my conduct, I'm gonna be before the judge of the earth, I, I, I've been given all this, I need to watch how I live, but I'm also gonna be in the company of Daniel. How much do I really wanna whine about this trial I'm in? You know, I'm gonna be in the presence of Isaiah, who was uh, sawn in two. How difficult is my flat tire really? You know what I'm saying? You know, Lord, you don't love me. If you would have loved me, you wouldn't have let this happen. You wouldn't have allowed a flat tire to get to me. Can you imagine relating some of the things we whine and complain about to Daniel and Isaiah? They're going to say, you, did, you, 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 you had a flat tire? And that really challenged your faith? And you were thinking about how God didn't love you anymore because... Yeah, never mind. It really wasn't that big of a deal. I, I don't even, it didn't even happen, actually. I mean, you can, you can see yourself immediately back, you know, pedaling from that kind of a conversation. It's like, he's like, well, can I show you the scar I got when I was sawn into? No, actually, that's okay. Well, I, I have a splinter here. No, actually, it came out. I'm good. You know, it's, I think when you think about those who've gone before us and how they've lived, the things they've endured, the things they accomplished, it serves as a challenge and a motivator, as, an, as something to exhort us. So this is who we're coming to. We're coming to the souls, the spirits of just men and women. Think of chapter 11 and you'll get the idea. And what about these? They've been made perfect. 
You're like, yeah, that's a problem. I'm not perfect. Oh, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are. Just like your grandma said. My grandma, my great-grandmother, she used to say I was perfect all the time. I wasn't. Um, there's no question I was not perfect. Um, but she used to say that. So uh, your great-grandma is, is, is right. In Christ Jesus, you are perfect. You're perfect. Because your sin was judged on the cross. All of it. Every dirty, filthy, wicked, depraved thing that mankind has thought, dreamt up, or done was placed upon Jesus Christ. And he died for every one of those wicked things. And in turn, as he took that, he gave us his righteousness, making us what? Perfect. This is who we're coming to. We're coming to this group, and they've been made perfect. But, of course, so have we been made perfect. Verse 24, we're also coming to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Well, there's the highlight, right? Is when we stand before the one who has mediated for us, who has gone before us on our behalf, who is the, the one that has brought the new covenant, the, the shedding of blood. He goes on to speak about and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Of course, when Jesus in the you know, Passover took the cup, he says, this is the cup of what? The new covenant, my blood. Right? This is, this is what it represents. And so he's the mediator of that. We're coming to him. You know, I, when you forecast yourself in the presence of the Lord, I, I know I've just, I, I'm, do any of you find yourself, you know, you thinking about being in the presence of the Lord, having to try and find Jesus and track him down and get a reservation? Does anybody ever think like that? No. How many of you are always first in line? I'm first in line. Okay, you don't want to answer the question either way. Okay, I'm first in line. I never see myself in the back of the throne room. I never see myself as far away from him. And I believe that's because that's what the Spirit is teaching us. We're firstborn. We're accepted. We've been made perfect. We have fellowship with him. And so this is our mediator. This is the one that has made us right and he has made us righteous. And so you have this. You have Mount Sinai that says, stay back. You have Mount Zion that says, come near. Come to this. Come to this. So why would you want to go back? Why would you want to forsake Mount Zion and all the blessings of the new covenant to go back to that place where you were told not to come any closer? How could they possibly walk away from such a a list of blessings like this? But how could we? You know, I was thinking about this this morning on the way over and how, you know, there is a a denial of Jesus as Lord, like who he is and what he's done and what he provides. There's like, I don't believe in him. I don't believe that Jesus is Lord. Then there are the, the, the denial that I won't have Jesus to be my Lord. In other words, you may believe who Jesus is, but you're unwilling to allow that lordship to be over your life. And of course, we need to allow both things. And Jesus, okay, so I guess you could have a, a theological um, rejection of Jesus Christ, but you can also have a practical rejection of Jesus Christ that comes through not submitting to his lordship over you. And of course, we know we are to submit to his lordship. So verse 25, so after 
the contrast of the old and the new. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. If the wilderness generation who sinned against the Lord who spoke to them from Mount Sinai, if they received judgment on this lesser covenant, how much more judgment, how much more uh, consequence will there be if we reject him? So the word is, we need to listen. We need to listen to Jesus and the salvation that he offers. You know, there was some that had tasted of the goodness of the Lord. There were some that had, uh, had an exposure to Jesus. They drank of him, but upon drinking of him, they spit it out and said, no, thank you, I don't want Jesus, and they walked away. And, and the, the, the word here is, don't refuse him. Receive him and keep him. Don't say, I want it, because this is the warning that comes up. Time and time again, throughout the book of Hebrews, is to not turn away from him, lest you bear the consequences of that guilt and shame. We need to listen to him. Who is it that you're listening to? Who is it that's determining your life, your belief systems, your, your conduct? Again, many times people will say, well, you know, I just think, well, that's impressive. You just think, like you just thought it up, like what, 10 minutes ago, an hour ago, like two months ago, for the last three years you've been working on this and you came to this conclusion and so you rejected what Jesus has to say because you think? Listen, I'm not for at all you know, suggesting we don't think as Christians. We are the most thoughtful as we consider both our sinfulness and the righteousness of God. So I'm not saying that, but many people feel like, well, I think therefore that's sufficient so I can, that is enough for me to jettison Jesus and to refuse him. Do you really want to stand before the judge of the universe and give an account for having refused him? And you know, the, the tradition that's been handed down of, of doctrine through the scriptures. I mean, look at what we have. we have. We have this long history of truth that's been passed down to us. You have the mind and the heart and the voice of God on the pages of scripture telling you how to come to him, how to live and how to think. And you have pondered things for a couple of years and you've come to a conclusion and you're gonna jettison all of that truth you're going to jettison following Jesus because your flesh wants to live a certain way don't refuse him don't, don't turn away from him that's what's being said here don't if, if they didn't get away with it in the old testament don't think you're going to get away with rejecting one who's even greater greater privileges greater responsibility Verses 26 and 27 begins to speak about this coming judgment. It says, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Don't think of like the throne room of God. Think of the, the stars, the space, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Well, what's gonna, what's, what's gonna not be shaken? Your citizenship, your reservation in heaven, being a firstborn, having been sprinkled by the blood of the new covenant, being made perfect, going and spending 
coming to heaven, going into the presence, none of those things are going to be shaken. Those things are going to remain solid. They're going to be for sure. But everything else in this world is going to be shaken. The word earthquake is often used in Scripture. Seven times in the New Testament, New King James, the word earthquake is used. Let me read to you the first instance of the word earthquake in the book of Revelation and all the judgment that is associated with this shaking. This is Revelation 6, beginning of verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. So that's the shaking, right? And as the Lord shakes this earth, stars are going to fall to the earth. As a fig tree drops its late figs, when it, has, when it is shaken by a mighty wind. You ever been underneath a, you know, a, like an oak tree with a bunch of acorns when the wind starts to blow? I can still remember our kids being, uh, there's an oak tree, and right underneath the oak tree was a swing set. And every year, they would be out there, and you're ow! <laughs> you know, well, they get nailed by, an, uh, you know, by a little acorn. It's just an acorn. You know, but we, we get this idea. The wind shakes, things fall off the trees. But God's going to shake the heavens. And when he shakes the heavens, it says the stars are going to fall to earth. Verse 14, then the sky receded like a scroll when it's rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. What kind of shaking has to happen to cause that to take place? You know, shaking, you can see things falling down. But, you know, sometimes you shake and things settle and, the, the, the earth is going to go through an upheaval. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. You know, when you first start reading this, you're going to expect them to be hiding from the things that are falling. Are they hiding from the things that are falling? No. They're petitioning the things that are falling to crush them so they don't have to face the judge of the earth. That's a little spooky. That's sobering to think about what it must be like when the judge comes. But listen, you have a mediator. You've been made perfect. What you have in Christ is not going to be shaken, nor is it going to fall upon you. If you've built your life upon the rock of Jesus Christ, if you've built your house as a wise man or woman upon Jesus, it's not going to come tumbling down. But everything else, every other ism, is going to collapse when the Lord brings judgment. Verse 28, what's the conclusion? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, or let us have thanksgiving, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So New King James says grace is the Greek word charis. Um, the word charis, grace, um, yeah, it can be translated grace. It can be translated gifts. But it can also and is translated thanksgiving. So I'll give you an example. Second Corinthians 2.14, now when you see the word um, grace, uh, when you see the word thanks, it's the word charis. It says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph 
in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So that second word there, thanks, is the Greek word charis. So sometimes it's translated grace, sometimes it's translated thanksgiving. And so you can, I'll let you work it. I'm, I'm out of time to kind of run through it all. But New American Standard Bible, ESV, New Living Translation, um, NIV all carry the idea of thanksgiving with it. So we have a kingdom that can't be shaken. What should I be a response? Well, we're thankful. We are full of praise and worship and gratitude for all that we have. By which this, this thanksgiving, now we serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You see, thanksgiving is a helpful tool in our life to make certain that we come before God in an acceptable worship manner. And the result is that we will have reverence and godly fear. But when you lose the spirit and the heart of thanksgiving, that's a dangerous place. There's so many places in scripture we could go to. Uh, read number, I know, Deuteronomy 8 and 9, where it talks about this. So we need to be thankful people based on all that we have. Living with our minds fixed on thanksgiving and the grace of living with our minds fixed on the grace that has come to us in Jesus Christ by coming to Mount Sinai um, is going to help us in our walk with the Lord. Let me read to you this quote. When the believer begins to deprecate the blessings and benefits of Christ and the Christian religion, Pause and ponder that. Have you ever done that? Because there's going to be a watch out that comes. You, you can see it already. But has there ever been a time where you begin to downplay and minimize? You treat commend, uh, in a contemptible manner the salvation, this new covenant, as not being sufficient, not able to help you because your circumstances are greater and deeper and harder than anybody else's and Christianity is just not enough for you? Well, when you begin to deprecate the blessings and the benefits of Christ and the Christian religion, he will end up departing from the living God unless he experiences a radical change of attitude. I guess you could debate that statement if you want to, but I think the warning still stands, whatever your conclusion is. We've got to be thankful people. And when we lose sight of this thanksgiving because of the kingdom that has come to us, we are, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to begin to look somewhere else because if I'm not thankful, then I'm not worshiping. If I'm not worshiping, I'm not being satisfied in the presence of God. I'm not thinking about God. If my mind is not upon God, now my mind can go to other things. And idolatry will abound and grow where there is a lost sense of the presence of God. Idolatry always begins there. You gotta find another God. But if your mind is fixed upon the Lord and worshiping him and praising him, you don't need to look for another God because you're, you're giving him the praise and the thanks that he's deserving of. We come to the end here, verses, at the end of verse 28 and 29. It says, by which we may, re, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. So it ends with that sober note, he is a consuming fire. Kind of takes us back to Mount Sinai. It's this idea of, yeah, yeah listen, it's way, way better, but we got to have, we have to have a, a reverence and an awe for our God who is a consuming fire. Yes, he is your mediator and he is your savior. 
Yes, he, he catches every one of your tears in a bottle and he remembers every tear you've ever shed. You don't, I don't, he does. He knows you're standing up and you're sitting down, you're lying down, you're getting out of bed. He knows how many, what the number of hairs are on your head. He knows, he knows all about you. But he is still a God who is a consuming fire. There's a list of um, references and it's by no means exhaustive. You don't want me to do that. But places in the scripture where it refers to God as a consuming fire. Exodus 24, 17, like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Numbers 11, 1, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some. Numbers 16, 35, and a fire came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men. Deuteronomy 9, 3, he who goes before you as a consuming fire, he will destroy them and bring them down, their enemies, before you, and so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly. Psalm 50, verse 3, a fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. Isaiah 66, 15, for behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Daniel 7, 9, speaking of Jesus, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was as white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wills a burning fire. You're gonna see this fire of God when you see Jesus on his throne. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that is the context that we just are reading about. Don't walk away. Don't refuse him. He is a consuming fire. And there is a real judgment that will be incurred by every man and woman, every man, woman, and child who has rejected Jesus Christ. There is judgment so what do we do with all that? Well, I think we're thankful that we're not under the judgment of God, that Jesus took that judgment for us. I think we walk soberly, understanding the fear of the Lord. So as we close here, are you experiencing the fullness and the blessing of the new covenant? Are you living like that woman who was a millionaire, billionaire, and didn't even want to pay to get some medical attention. You have the world available to you and yet you're living as a poor person. We need to be thankful. There's a need for holiness. We need to have godly fear. We need to remember that the kingdom is coming and we are a part of it. We need to understand that walking away from Jesus <clears throat> is full of terrible judgment for those who do that. So well, this sounds like you know hellfire and brimstone. Um, yeah, it kind of is actually. You read it along with me. I didn't make it up. There's a fire of the Lord. And the Lord didn't, does not want anyone to experience that. That's why he writes like this. If God wanted to consume man by fire, he would be silent and provide no mediation. But God doesn't want that. God wants to rescue. God wants to save. And so if you need to come to the Lord or back to the Lord, I pray you'll do it right now as we pray. Father, thank you. For your kindness and your grace. Lord, we rebelled against you. We sinned against you. 
You didn't have to open the door of salvation. You didn't have to beckon us to come to Mount Zion, to come into your throne room and live with you forever. But you did, and you are. And we say thank you, Lord. If you're one that needs to come to Jesus, then pray right now for him to, the judge of the earth, to remove that judgment from you and to make you a perfect man or woman in Christ Jesus, that you would be accepted, and he will do that. If you're a child of the Lord and you've been pondering, I don't know if I'm still going to follow Christ, I don't know if it's all that it's supposed to be, Allow some fear to fall upon your heart for the thoughts that are in your heart and mind. The answer is simple. Begin to praise the Lord and thank the Lord for who he is and what he's done for you. Be done with lesser things. Be done with them. Lord, thank you. We cannot wait for the day, Lord, when you come and bring us to be with you in your kingdom, a kingdom that will not be shaken, where everything that we've read is certain, is not going to fall from, from the, our reality. We're going to experience all of these blessings. Fill our hearts with thanksgiving and praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.